Welcome to the At The Coalface podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. This podcast is all about what it's really like in the trenches of digital and e-commerce. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the pod. It's my pleasure to welcome Tom Coburn, who is the co-founder and CEO of Jebit. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thanks, Jason. Excited to be here. Mate, it's awesome to have you along for the ride today. And it's really interesting because we were talking before we went live, we were talking about the fact that, I don't know, about a year and a half ago, maybe even maybe even closer to two years ago, we had a pretty good conversation uh, via email when I was uh, still working in agency land about your platform. We were trying to achieve some pretty cool stuff for a customer using concepts around quiz commerce, which is what uh, Jebit, Jebit provides. It provides a quiz commerce experience, which we'll unpack a little bit more later on. But we were talking via email around what we could get into the platform and out of the platform via API and some of the crazy things we wanted to do with the platform. And I remember you were very helpful, very knowledgeable, very experienced and, and very technical. And we had a great email conversation. And it's awesome to uh, be able to chat with you further about your, your incredible platform today. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be back and chatting again and excited about what you're building now. Good stuff. Now, if we want to just unpick this a little bit for the audience, Jebit is a quiz commerce platform. And for people who haven't maybe heard that concept before, heard that terminology before, you are a SaaS platform that plugs in seamlessly into e-commerce platforms, notably Shopify and BigCommerce and various other platforms. And you can plug in via simple JavaScript snippet, and there's some deeper integrations that can be built out on top of that as well and custom integrations with API layers and, and, and the like. But effectively, if we think about what the core value prop of the Jebit platform is, it is the ability to create a questionnaire or a, a, like, almost like a competition or an interactive interface where a customers can come to your website, they can tell you specific preferences around a specific product type or a product category, and then you can effectively off the backside of the answers that they give, the merchant can give them product recommendations that are relevant to their preferences. And then we can store that, that, that preference data. It gets stored automatically by Jebit and it can either be wiped effectively after that product recommendation is, is made and they can carry on with their consumer journey. Or we can store that data as preference data as custom customer attributes in the e-commerce platform, so long as it supports that, so that we can reuse that data, particularly if they're authenticated, meaning they're logged in and authenticated when we collect that data, then we can store that against their customer account so that we can recall that data at a later time and we can personalize or customize the products that we're recommending to them, the products we're showing to them based on preferences interests and various other pieces of information that we would ask them through a questionnaire type of a stepped questionnaire type of a scenario. Have I described that reasonably accurately? Absolutely. There's, and there's a couple of points I would clarify, especially for people that are just figuring out what we do and, and what companies similarly to us do. So people know us for the data, like you were just talking about, that you can collect from getting questions and answers completed through these experiences. We talk about it often as first-party declared data because people are explicitly giving it. Forrester calls it zero-party data, so we use that term sometimes, but whatever you want to call it. It's people answering questions about their preferences, their motivations, their intents, et cetera. But if you look at the core of what we've built, it's really a creative platform to design and build 
quickly and easily without needing to touch a line of code, these really beautiful, amazing interactive experiences, which quizzes are the most popular. Answer five questions, we'll recommend the right product for you. But there's all different types of templates and experiences you can build from trivia to polls to interactive lookbooks and articles. But uh, really the challenge is how do you get a consumer's attention? How do you get them to stop what they're doing and engage with you for a minute or two and tell you things about themselves? Because we all just know as consumers, we don't wake up in the morning and think, let me go tell all the brands I care about everything they want to know about me. And when we see just traditional boring surveys, we ignore them 99 out of 100 times. And what we're not, just to clarify, is we're not like the end data warehouse where the data will ultimately live. We are not the, the CDP or the CRM system. So we're the creative engine to build these interactive experiences, put it wherever you want. And then you're right. We have a record of all that data in Jebit, but ultimately we build the integrations so you can get the data out of Jebit and get it into the systems where you would actually activate it. Now, what I also love about Jebit, as you say, is the fact that effectively, if I wanted to use a, a term that maybe a, a large percent of the audience would understand, I almost think of your design layer and your creative layer almost like uh, a Canva system for quiz commerce. So as you say, you yes. have these kind of widgets or you have these underlying elements and tooling to where via this drag and drop admin interface, we can create a gamified quiz. We can create a stepped quiz. We can create, we can create all of these interactive experiences that ultimately are designed to visually and creatively engage the audience. But by the same token, it's also designed at the right time contextually to ask the right questions. And to, to give an example of that, we, we'd say, let's say, I don't know, my, my, let's say my wife colors her hair. And let's say she has, you know, certain type of hair. She has a certain amount of curliness. She has a certain amount of, of her ethnicity affects her hair, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so let's say she goes to, I don't know, the L'Oreal website and she wants to buy a hair color for her hair. Obviously, if they went, if my wife went into a shop, and she was getting serviced by someone who knew about these products, that person would ask a whole bunch of qualifying questions and maybe even hold her hair and look at her hair and, and look at the structure of her hair before making a recommendation around a coloring product for her hair. So effectively, we're creating almost like a guided navigation experience that is the equivalent or starts to broach the gap between the digital and the physical. So it's if I was to go into a jewelry store and I was to start looking at some jewelry, the person behind the counter is not just going to whip out a bunch of jewelry out of the counter and plunk it on the counter and say, what do you think of that? They're going to they're gonna ask me a bunch of questions. They're going to say, are you shopping today for yourself or for someone else? Is this for a special occasion? Or they're going to ask a whole, do you like white gold, yellow gold? Do you have a specific gemstone in mind? They're going to ask a whole bunch of qualifying questions before they start to pull products out of the cabinet and show it to me to see if I'm actually interested in those products. They might even ask me what kind of price range um, is suitable for me. And so really what we're doing is we're saying, we're going to take that retail supported like experience. And we're trying to translate that in an engaging way into a digital equivalent using something that is brand appropriate, that is color appropriate, that has all the assets we need to represent our brand in the way that we want it to be represented online, but in an engaging way for the consumer to interact with. A hundred percent. We we talk about it all the time at Jebit and with a lot of our customers and partners, but what we are really helping brands do is bring that in-store personal concierge experience. Like you walk into any store at a mall, like you said, a jewelry store, 
there's someone to greet you when you walk in. How are you doing today? What are you here for? How can I help you? Oh, you're looking for a ring. Oh, you're looking for a necklace. Let me bring you over to this person and they'll talk to you further and they'll help you. And one of the things we find most crazy, and obviously we've been going through this COVID pandemic and a lot of stuff has been shifted fully online. But if you think of the kind of average traditional e-commerce site and the way that experience is the first time you ever land there, first and foremost, you get there and you're normally hit with a pop-up box right away asking for your email. I may not even know anything about this brand yet. My friend might have sent it to me. I'm clicking on it. I've been there for five seconds and they already want my email. We would never do that at a real store when someone walks in. We would never stand there with a clipboard or an iPad and ask for their email immediately. And then you, whether you put your email in or you X that box out, you're then normally just left with a bunch of tabs and you have to go search and read a bunch of, read about a bunch of products yourself. And so to greet people front and center with a beautiful on-brand quiz that ask them a few questions, gets to know them, saves them time, gives them the personal personalized recommendation. And maybe at the end, after you've provided value, asks for the email address. It's just such a better way to greet the consumer. And it is way more aligned with how we would actually treat people in real life. And I think that's part of the reason we've been able to get a lot of traction for what we're doing. And, and so many brands are seeing so much. And you're also asking for the email address at a point where you can demonstrate value to the customer of why you want their email address. So yeah. if you want to store those preferences that they've willingly given you against their account and reuse them later, and maybe even expose them to the customer in the my account section of the website to where they can update those preferences as they evolve over time. And you actually surfacing it back to them at meaningful points along the customer journey, whether that be pre-filtered product categories or a tab in my account that always has my personalized tailored recommendations. Like you say, like a concierge that's always coming up with relevant recommendations based on the catalog match between their answers and the product attributes of the products in the catalog. However, you surface that information back to them. If you know who they are, meaning we know what your email address is, that way, if you create an account in our store or you already have an account in our store, we know which customer record we need to store this data against. And so it becomes a natural part of the workflow. Hey, would you like to save your preferences against your account? Enter your email here. It, it, it's a contextually relevant time to ask for that email address with demonstrable value to the customer, meaning they don't have to re-enter that data every single time they re-enter re the website. You capture it once, you store it forever until they wish to change it. Absolutely. We talk all the time at Jebit about a genuine value exchange and think about the alternative. I was talking about the email pop-up box right on site. Hey, we'll give you 10% off your email. That's very transactional. That's not really a, a genuine value exchange. Going back to the jewelry store example. Oh, you've just answered five questions. We're ready to make the perfect recommendation for you. We've got it queued up. Just put your email in here and then we'll give you the recommendation and we'll send you some more information on this necklace or whatever it is. That's a genuine value exchange, right? That's that time saving and that personalized recommendation. And it's no surprise. We see this is across all our customers, all of our industries. We see about 50% of people will give us their email when we ask for it. And that often blows marketers away when we're talking to them because they might be used to like an email pop-up box on site that gets 10% or whatever it might be. But it's all because of that, that genuine value exchange you were talking about. Yeah. And look, I think it's worthy. That's a great entree into the, the next part of the discussion, which is that obviously with the iOS privacy changes, which have already been implemented, which Facebook is squealing about, they said that in 2022, they're likely to lose about $10 billion in ad revenue because of these new privacy changes. We're talking 
Google is shaking the cage and they're now saying that within two years, third-party cookies will absolutely be dead. They're not going to delay that any further in, in Chrome and all the other browsers, are, if they haven't already, they will be following suit. So therefore, being able to capture that aggregated data through cookies is going to be, become very difficult, particularly at the individual user level. And so really what we're talking about here is an entire industry-wide paradigm shift. And obviously, you guys have been around since before these were you've been around for over 11 years and so you guys were doing this you guys were doing zero and first party data before zero and per first party data were sexy you were doing zero and first party data before cdps became sexy and the talk of the town so you guys have been doing this for a really long time but what i like about your platform because a you're storing the data but b you expose it via apis and so what that means is that really rich user data can be reused and re-injected into other platforms to enrich the customer experience, not just in the moment, but all throughout their customer lifecycle with you as a brand. And you can add touch points where that data is used to benefit the customer. You might start out with something really simple, which is, hey, we, we have this one quiz on the website. And the data is only ever stored in Jebit and it's only ever used in that moment for the product recommendations we show to them straight away after completing that quiz that gets us up and running quickly. That's almost like an MVP approach. But then, but then because you're storing that data effectively indefinitely, then what happens is if we want to leverage that data for customer benefit in new ways that we may not even be able to imagine today, We've got the data there and we can inject that into a CDP as preference data that goes into the CDP for further segmentation and remarketing later and creating remarketing segmentation, for example. And we can reuse that. And, and the, the reality is that most modern e-commerce platforms, even the SaaS platforms, they have the ability to store customer attributes against the customer record in that platform, which then can be exposed through the front-end templating engine of that platform in meaningful ways. And you can do really interesting front-end JavaScript logic-driven stuff with that data. So if we're thinking of the Shopify world, we could store that data as custom customer tags or meta fields. In big commerce speak, we can store that as custom customer attributes. And then we can surface that again, as I said, whether that be in the My Account area or in other places along the journey where it's relevant. So for example, you might have you might collect through a specific quiz some information that is relevant to only one category on your website. So at that point, you wouldn't surface that information across all your categories, but you would show it when they land on that category. And you would say, would you, you could ask the question, would you like us to automatically apply filters to this category based on your preferences? And then they just tick a button and that could persist across their entire user session. So that means that they don't have to go through and manually tick all these filters when they're a category to find a product that's relevant to them. You automatically do that because you already know their preference data. So I really like the fact that you can get up and running quickly with the Jebit platform with something really simple in an MVP way, but that you can forever leverage that data in smart ways to benefit the customer in the future. And what you're effectively saying there, you didn't use these specific words, but we talk about it at Jabbit all the time, is a, a maturation curve of your zero-party data strategy. We have this chart that we use all the time with our customers when they're getting started, because what we've seen is the reality is most e-commerce and DTC brands are extremely busy. They have a million things they're trying to get done. And so they're not always ready out of the gate on day one to activate the data in five different places and be sending personalized emails and have retargeted social ads running off of uh, the zero party data and things like that. 
And so step one, like you said, is just build a quiz and get it on your site. And we'll just use the data to make the recommendation in the moment. And on day one, you're going to see more leads captured, uh, lower bounce rate on your site. Your conversion rate will go up because people get this personalized recommendation. And then oftentimes we see the average order value is higher because you can recommend multiple products to the person that are tailored for them. And so you get all those benefits the first day your quiz goes live and you might spend two weeks, a month, you might spend six months just optimizing that quiz and increasing your conversion rate before you even think about doing a thing with the data beyond using it in the moment for that recommendation. And then once you do get thinking about that, there's dozens of things you can actually do with the data. And like you said, we can get the data into your CDP and then that opens up even more opportunities. But I think a lot of times merchants can get overwhelmed with all the potential things they could do, which is why it's important to just get started and get that quiz live. And then we'll see where we go from there. Totally agree. And the other thing that I love about Jebit is the really rich reporting layer that you guys bring to the table out of the box with the platform. So you've got this and this deep analytics and reporting layer that, again, even if you don't have it integrated in with other channels, you have this really rich information. It shows the number of views of a specific implementation, a specific widget, a specific quiz. It shows you how many times it's been completed, where people might be dropping out so that you can refine and optimize, almost like an A-B uh, test of that quiz. If you know that they're dropping out on question three half the time, then maybe question three is the issue and we can refine that and make it simpler or easier or make it a free form text field instead of a, a specific question, et cetera. And then you've got uh, specific question analytics, like I said, and then you've got overall audience insights and channel specific analytics if, if the data is being used in a multi-channel way. And really what we're able to do from that is we're able to start building a picture of the types of product attributes that if we, so let's say today we don't have all of the structured product data against our products that we really need to have to marry up with our customer zero and first party data to create that super rich front end experience. But we might not even know where to begin. We might not know which of those attributes are actually most important for our customers as a place to start because we wanna tackle the low hanging fruit, right? Always as a retailer, as you said, time is precious. We wanna focus on the things that actually matter to our customers. So by asking them smart questions and seeing what their answers are, now all of a sudden we can have a really hyper-focused set of analytics and suite of analytics that come out of your platform that we go, okay, we, we don't have all the rich product data we, we need. We know that. But based on 5,000 responses we've had to this quiz, we know we need to hit these three or four key attributes and those need to go into our catalog pronto because we know those are important to our customers. And not only that, but the answers to the quiz also can help with, for example, our mega menu, our categorization, a lot of brands yeah. will try to do guided navigation through their navigation structure, almost like asking those questions again through the navigation hierarchy, but getting really sharp feedback around interest data and the way that customers view that data can inform how you create that guided navigation experience. So it's not just in the moment. I see even if you don't connect it to other channels straight away, it definitely helps you to inform the optimization of the website experience outside Jebit. I am glad you brought up analytics because I do often feel like the analytics part of the platform is one of the most overlooked or underrated. People talk all the time about the integrations and getting the data into their CDP and what they can do with it there. They focus all the time, obviously, on the quiz builder and all the visuals and how beautiful and amazing they can make it look and things like that. But there's been this interesting trend we've seen over the last, let's call it 
two or three years where felt like three years ago, we were trying to scream from the mountaintops to everyone, you should build a quiz. You should have a quiz on your website. Here are the benefits. And now it feels like everyone we meet is saying, okay, we know we're going to build a quiz. What we're trying to figure out is should we build it in-house on our own or should we use a platform like Jebit to build it? And that's where one of the things I think they often overlook, okay, you might be able to go build the whole thing in-house, but are you going to build a whole robust backend analytics on it? Are you going to build something that's giving you the screen by screen drop off data you talked about and showing you channel by channel where people are coming in and where you're losing them and let you set up all different AB tests and optimize the performance over time. As a marketer, those are incredibly valuable and insightful things to be able to have that real time analytics at your fingertips and, and the ability to set up all those AB tests. So I, I think that is super important for, for any quiz commerce strategy. Awesome stuff. Now, just to clarify, I guess, from a, a little bit more of the technical standpoint, let's say I've got three quizzes and they're maybe category specific quizzes because I have multiple categories of products on my website and I want to be able to, to strategically place those in relevant places around the website, depending on the product type or product category the customer is interested in. Now, each time I create one of those quizzes or those interactive gamif gamified experiences, whatever it might be, using your builder interface, then from there, each one of those creates their own unique JavaScript snippet that then just gets inserted in the website in the correct place in the theme. Is that so there's actually multiple ways. There's three ways you can deploy one of our quizzes on your website. The JavaScript way is the most complex, but it gives you the it's the most technically complex, but it gives you the most flexibility uh, in terms of how it interacts with you. Our system can generate either a link, an embed code, or you can go the JavaScript route. So the link is literally, you could put a banner on your site, someone clicks the banner and it links out fully into the Jebit experience and then it redirects back to your site at the end. So technically the consumer's leaving your website, but it'll all feel branded and 99% of consumers won't realize what's actually happening there unless they're really paying attention to the, the URLs changing. The second option is we just give you an embed code, just like you'd embed like a YouTube video into an iframe and you can just embed it into any frame you want. And then the third version is the JavaScript version that, you know, you and I were messaging about uh, a year and a half ago or whatever it was, and, and that you've asked about uh, in this conversation. And so the nice part is that one, you actually only have to put the JavaScript on your site once. And then we have the controls on the back end that you can say, show this experience on these pages of my website, show that one on those pages, et cetera. And control a bunch of other things like have it pop up after 30 seconds or have it slide in from the bottom left corner or whatever it might be. And I would say it's probably about 25% of our customers use that JavaScript version, but most of them actually just use one of the first two versions because it's easy and simple and still feels really integrated with the website. Absolutely love it. Now, have you guys seen an increase in queries to you guys or demand because you've got a You've got an app for Shopify, if I remember rightly. You've got an app for Shopify that basically it just plugs in automatically to the site and it makes everything happen automatically behind the scenes and makes it really quick and easy for merchants to implement the platform. Have you seen as the talk about the death of third-party cookies and as the talk about privacy has reached almost fever pitch? Now, uh, it got drowned out in 2021 by a lot of talk of Web3. But if we look at 2020, pretty much that's all everybody was talking about in 2020 was privacy. And even in the in, in the beginning parts of 2021, privacy, oh my God, oh my God, we're, we're missing out. It's going to cost us a fortune to acquire customers. And we're not able to capture the data in an easy, 
way for us as a brand like we used to in a cookied environment. And as a result of that, I'm guessing that you guys would have seen an absolute explosion in interest as that privacy discussion started to reach a fever pitch. Would that be right? Absolutely. We just put out a, a press release of our 2021 growth and there was by far the the largest growth we've ever seen in a 12-month period at Jabbit. And to your point, we've been at this for 11 years. It took a while for, I think, the world to catch up to what we're up to. but And we're continuing to see that wave. And I think it's I think it's finally hitting marketers where they're feeling the pain. The GDPR and CCPA and all the other privacy legislation started coming out over the last three, four years. People knew some of this was coming, but I think there was a spectrum of how much people cared about it. Then obviously Apple and Google announced the changes that they were going to roll out. And even with that, I think some marketers really prioritized it and understood the impact. And I think a lot just kept ignoring it. And then the last year, the Apple changes actually went into effect. As you said earlier, Google's haven't yet. And then overnight, some of our brands started seeing their CAC double and you're all of a sudden getting half the ROI on your ad campaigns on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or Pinterest, wherever you're running your campaigns. And I think that was really the moment a lot of them started feeling the pain. And we've been able to prove that when you run a quiz and you get, it doesn't need to be a lot of data, two, three, four, five data points on each person. If you take that data and you go create audiences on these platforms using that data to seed it, we're seeing on average about a 5X lift in the performance of that media, which is obviously massive. And part of that is just how well the strategy works. And part of that is that these platforms their algorithms aren't performing as well right now with these Apple changes, but you've got it spot on from the momentum that we've been seeing internally. Exciting stuff. Now, how did you get into this space? Now, if we look at your sort of your background, your history, you've been involved, you've been an entrepreneur for many years, for, for 15 plus years, you've been an entrepreneur involved in multiple ventures, involved in uh, a bit of VC investing. You've been an advisor to a couple of other companies as well, helping them to find product market fit for their platform. What drew you? This was, you were very early to this party. Were you, as did you have a merchant? Did you, have, were you a merchant? Did you have an e-commerce website that you yeah. went, man, we got to find a better way to do this? Were you scratching an itch? Did you see an opportunity? How did this even come into existence? It's, it is uh, funny you ask, because I was not that like, kid who was running the lemonade stand or the paper route or ripping people's flowers out of their yard and selling it to them. Uh, I did not think I was going to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I was in college as at Boston college and I actually was a biology and theology uh, double major in the pre-med track. So I was planning to go be a doctor like my grandpa and my uncle and all my roommates were in the business school and our school had a business plan competition like many others where you could pitch an idea and win $10,000 and Freshman year, I tried to pitch a medical device idea with them and no one trusted a bunch of freshmen without medical degrees could start a medical device company. They were probably right. So sophomore idea, we I came up with this idea for Jebit, which to clarify, because you said earlier, we've been really early to the zero party data. We've been at it for 11 years. We didn't start thinking about zero party data and declared data until 2017. So really just the last four years. Wow. We were focused on for the first, call it seven years, is just helping brands create a better, more interactive shopping experience. We just saw, kind of like I said earlier, the website experience is not always great. And it's even worse if you're on a mobile phone. Oh, you got to click all these tabs and search all these products yourself. 
And so we were just hoping to make better content. And yes, I think we saw the writing on the wall of the power of zero party before that term was even created, probably in mid to late 2016. And I guess we'll get give ourselves some credit for that. But we really stumbled into it just from saying, how do we make a better shopping experience? Oh, it's got to be quick. It's got to be interactive. It's got to be consultative. And so we just started building all these quizzes for that. And then we realized, oh, there's immediate value and there's some value to having the quiz and increasing conversions. But the real value is when you start using this data and you start unlocking the power of the data. Uh, and that's how obviously we've come to be what we're known for today. And so in the beginning, uh, a couple questions. So in the beginning, did you not store the data on your system? And I'm guessing when you first started out, you wouldn't have had an API layer that people could connect to and get the data into and out of your system, et cetera. Correct. It wasn't even, we, we didn't even realize it was valuable. Like we were just trying to increase the conversions on the website. So, well, we did always capture emails and we would pass emails through. So I guess to be fair, integrations has been a, a part of our platform since the start, but we were not sitting there thinking about all the questions you might ask and how you'd actually leverage that question and answer data. It was just get a fun quiz on your site and increase sales. Love it. Absolutely love it. And are there specific verticals in your opinion and your you know extensive experience in this market are there specific verticals that lend themselves more to this type of front-end experience? Or are is it pretty much, hey, if you've got a product or a service to sell to customers, we can figure out a way to present something engaging to get their interest data into our system to make sure that we're guiding them to the right solution for their problem. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm guessing that in the start, you would have gone after some specific verticals and targeted specific verticals for some low hanging fruit and, so, and some easy wins, but you've got a, a lot of years under your belt and working at this now, are there verticals that just don't lend themselves to this type of experience or is it pretty universal? It is definitely universal. I, I don't think there's any vertical out there that could, you could be a marketer at one of those companies and look in the mirror and say, no, we can't benefit from more interactive content and getting more zero party data directly from our customers. I think if you're saying that you're not, you're not really being honest with yourself. I do think there are certain verticals that have maybe been at the cutting edge of this, or it just more obviously lends to this type of strategy, or maybe there were just a lot more first movers where now like you're behind the times, if you don't have a quiz on your site, like if you're a cosmetics brand, or if you're in, you talked about your wife's hair earlier, anything in that beauty cosmetics world, if you don't have a quiz on your site in 2022, I think it's safe to say you're behind the times. And that's not true across every vertical. And that wasn't true three, four years ago in that vertical either. But I think verticals where there's a lot of potential decision fatigue from customers, like there's a, either a lot of SKUs and a lot of products, or maybe there's just a lot that goes into a purchase decision, like with skincare, people care a lot about the environmental impact. And like you said earlier, everyone's skin is different, whether it be from their ethnicity or where they live or all these other. And so I think anything that has a lot of choice and a lot of education needed, also anything that's like a big purchase. We talked about jewelry and you're searching for a wedding ring or something like that. It's a big purchase where you're just going to put a lot of thought into it. Those are verticals where I think we're seeing just a more natural draw to the quiz commerce strategy. Love it. And 
are you guys, you, I'm guessing in the start, obviously you were bootstrapped. Did you end up winning the 10K prize at any point or for Jebit? Did you go back for round two or was this fully bootstrapped by you? And have you taken on investment or have you guys pretty much been fully bootstrapped? Since we tied for first place my sophomore year of college. So we got $7,500. They split the first and second place prize. But we've now raised about $100 million in, in venture capital funding. We definitely ended up going the fundraising route. But uh, most of that funding, the very large majority has come in the last two, two years or so here. So for many years, we were, we were running this very lean on just a couple million dollars of funding. That is amazing. $100 million. Obviously, we've seen over the last two years, VCs going absolutely bonkers over anything related to e-com. So that, that, that's not an incredible surprise. But I guess as leaders in the space, it makes sense to want to pour capital into something that has massive legs. And what's on your radar? What are some things that Jebit does not do today that now that you've got you know, some pretty deep pockets and some good runway ahead of you, what are some of the things that Jebit doesn't do today that you want it to do that you say, hey, in the next 12 to 24 months, I can see us being able to do X, Y, and Z better or doing it for the first time ever in the platform? Yeah, so I think we've made the really conscious decision at Jebit, probably made this decision about five years ago now that we are not planning to build any of the, let's call it the core marketing tech infrastructure, right? The CDP the ESP, your SMS platform, like what all the marketing automation technologies, the, the core ones, we don't want to build that because there's so many other people doing that so well. And there's been so much money poured into that. We want to own the interactive content creation, like we talked about and the zero party data capture, and then have all the integrations built. And so that's why we're an official partner of, you know, Salesforce and SAP and Qualtrics and Braze and Clavio and Shopify, like you said earlier, and, and so many others, because it's a natural fit where we help make their platforms more powerful. We make the content, we get the data, we feed the data into their systems. They use the data to personalize anything that they're, they're doing. And so with that, like where you can expect innovation from Jebit will continue to be on the experience side, right? For years, we've been very focused on how do you make amazing mobile first interactive experiences because we've been seeing mobile is where consumers are putting so much of their attention. We're now testing and thinking about, okay, as consumer attention potentially shifts into many different potential paths, VR, AR, the metaverse, you know, voice activated devices, connected devices, all those things. What does it look like to enable brands to deliver really amazing interactive experiences that give that genuine value exchange to consumers? And so that's where a lot of our future planning is, is going and, and is focused. That, that, that does not surprise me one bit. Obviously, understanding that the e-commerce channel as we know it today is going to evolve and change dramatically over, say, the next two to five years. I personally am very excited about the prospect of Web3. It's not without its risks. I think culturally and ethically, I think there's some big questions yet to be answered about that. But I think if we set those aside for the moment, I think that definitely the prospect of multiple metaverse environments where people can spend time, where they can connect with people, where they can have entertainment, where they can do shopping, where they can do travel, where they can do all sorts of things from the comfort of their own home and then also in... AR and XR experiences while they have that kind of overlay over the world while they're out in the physical world. I think the prospect of all of that and the maturity 
of some of the underlying technology that's needed to make all that possible. So the maturity of the various different blockchain systems, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, and even NFT exchanges, and, and so many technologies out there and hundreds of millions of dollars being poured by VCs into Web3 technology just to make it simpler and more accessible for the average everyday person. And then we've obviously got the major tech players creating those, the VR headsets, as well as down the track, VR bodysuits and all sorts of other things, direct brain stimulation. I think if Elon Musk gets his way and all sorts of other things that are coming down the pipe, which are really exciting. But as you say, that means by definition that the environments or the channels that Jebit will need to play in change quite dramatically. And so now all of a sudden we might have to have a 3D version of Jeb Jebit that goes into a VR space to where people can spin a wheel virtually or they can they can automatically speak their answers and they automatically populate across the fields virtually, etc. So I can totally understand that. Are you I know that you're thinking about this from a risk versus benefit analysis as a business and where do we put our time and our money, but what is your initial feelings on Web3? I feel like a whole lot of things happened in 2021 where at the start of 2021, if you ask the average man in the street what an NFT was, they would have said NF what? And by the end of 2021, anybody who was a millennial or younger and anybody who was even reasonably tech savvy could tell you what an NFT was, even if they didn't own any. And sorry, just to clarify, what's your question on it? Sorry. So what is your feeling about Web3 and its adoption and the, the acceptance and understanding in general society about Web3? And then obviously, how do you see yourself you know, playing in that space? Is that you've got to effectively move from a 2D model of your technology and the way you surface that to customers. And now you potentially have to start thinking about it in a 3D model, right? Yeah. I think my general opinions on, let's say the NFT space and Web3 broader is like, super excited and bullish on it. It feels like an incredibly exciting time and it definitely feels like the future. To your point, I think the average person you would talk to totally misunderstands how NFTs are ultimately going to be used when it's not like spend all this money on this ape just so you can show you bought this ape and have it. Yeah. But when it's more like your local coffee shop's loyalty program is going to run on an NFT and it's going to make their business so much better and like all the other just more practical business applications that are going to come from it i think that's the stuff that that i'm really excited about and we are definitely paying attention to it all at jebit and figuring what is the role we can play here to really add a lot of value to our brands so we have some ideas brewing but nothing we've like formally announced or, or rolled out yet that's 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 cool and i'm imagining that even your form builder or even your quiz builder that could potentially be moved over to a 3d virtualized quiz builder where i'm grabbing these elements in virtual space and moving them around and dragging them and dropping them Definitely. enough to get all minority report on things but i i think this is going to have a fundamental change on the ui layer not just for the consumers but also the users of technology very possible and i think that what you're saying about building experiences in a 3d environment or for the metaverse that's a lot of the stuff we're excited to innovate on and explore when it comes to the the actual experiences themselves that our brands are rolling out awesome now how do you guys make your money you're a SaaS platform so i'm yeah. guessing it's a subscription and uh, I'm guessing it's based on the number of quizzes you have running at any t point in time, or maybe the number of submissions through those systems. How do you guys make your money? Yeah. So you have it right. It's a SaaS platform. You mentioned Shopify. So 
up until two years ago, we were exclusively an enterprise platform. And we just saw the massive trend happening in Shopify and have always felt that there's no reason Jebit's technology at its core should only be for a Fortune 500 enterprise brand. So a little over a year ago, we rolled out our free version and our Shopify app. We now have everything from you can sign up for a free version. It's a much more limited builder with what you can get from a creative standpoint and you don't get all the same account management and support and all of that. But if you want to log in and do it yourself, you can build a simple quiz and put it on your website and have a thousand people go through it totally for free. And we now have that all the way up to Fortune 500 brands using all of our enterprise features, getting support from us and spending millions of dollars a year. So we, we are really trying to be able to cater to any size business at kind of any stage of their zero party data journey. So effectively you're democratizing the quiz commerce model. That's the hope. Yes. Love it. Look, it, it has been an amazing conversation with you. I, I love what you guys do. It's really quite groundbreaking. It seems simple on the surface until you start digging into it. And then when you dig into it and you start realizing all the thought and the care and the love and the iteration that has gone into your platform, it starts to make sense. You're able to start connecting the dots, especially if you're technical like I am, and you start digging under the bonnet and you start reading API docs and you start you start really understanding the love and effort that you've put into your platform. I have total respect for you and being willing to break your own product and iterate it over time and effectively re-architect it, re-engineer it, re-envision it for the world in which we live as you grow and as you mature as a business. I, I have such respect for that because I just I know how hard product development is. I know how hard product roadmapping can be. It just it is not easy to build a product that stays relevant over a long period of time in the commerce ecosystem. So congratulations on achieving that super exciting times. Can't wait. I, I, I had no idea you had that much investment put into the business. That's also super exciting. I wish you every success. Now, I started a trend as of the last podcast episode, and I'm going to continue it with you. And that is, do you have one question for me before we finish off the episode? Yeah, I would love to get your take on something I've been thinking about and exploring recently, which is I have been surprised by how few of the brands that we work with are truly measuring and optimizing around lifetime value. Or if they say they are, it's like very high level. And I'm curious from your perspective, I guess first, do you see the same from a lot of the brands that you work with and, and consult for? And if so, in your mind, what's the biggest challenge preventing brands from really running a marketing strategy that puts lifetime value as the North Star or what are the starting steps you think they can take to get there? I think you absolutely nailed it. I, I see the exact same thing. And I think if we go back to the core of it, CLV, if you're doing it right, really needs to be down to the customer and channel level. And we need to understand where they perform. If we're an omni-channel business, we need to understand how those customers perform across multiple channels because they will oftentimes shop with us at chain of stores and online. They'll oftentimes shop in both. And they'll have different values to our business depending on the channel that they shop in. And, and there's re specific reasons for that. And it can give us insights into our business around how we're performing and operations and all sorts of other things that can help inform that CLV discussion. But the other thing is 
also understanding that how CLV, how churn is calculated will be very different by vertical. And so stand algorithms that get applied to this generically by, say, a marketing automation platform or a CDP, whatever the case may be, they're oftentimes lacking in taking in enough data in the right way to be specific for our business. So if you're if you sell consumables, well, that's that's a very different way of calculating your CLV and your churn, et cetera, than if you sell mattresses, which someone might buy on average every 10 years with you or every five years with you. So I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding that the same CLV model can be applied to every business. And then the final thing that I'm seeing is a total lack of understanding around two things. One is CAC and the other one is cost to service. And so in all the CLV calculations, you have to take into account the cost of acquisition by channel and by customer, but you also have to take into account the cost of service. So I might have two customers that I think are exactly identical. They spend roughly the same amount with me every 12 months. They acquired them for around the same cost and their AOV is about the same. And all these things might look on paper to be virtually identical. But if customer A contacts me three times on average for every purchase and contacts customer service three times on average per purchase and one out of three purchases get returned and then customer B contacts us 0.5 times on average per purchase and has a return rate of one every 10 orders, I think we know who's more valuable to us as a business. So really it's what is the net value, not the gross value. And I see businesses only looking at the gross value, which is the revenue that customer generates, not how profitable that customer is. And so I think there's a lot that should go into CLV calculations that are not captured in standard reporting systems. And therefore they require some uh, smarts on behalf of the data analyst or the retention analyst, whoever it is in your business that's looking at CLV to be able to get that get that nailed down and actually use it meaningfully in the business. That's what I'm seeing. I think we're seeing a lot of similar things. It's exciting times, man. It's exciting times. The good thing about this is that if businesses had all their quote unquote stuff together, then they wouldn't need either of us. So it feels exciting <laughs> to be in this space. I've been in this space for over 20 years and it is literally the most exciting time to be working in this space over the last year since starting my business i've had a real deep focus on hyper complex commerce environments b2b d2c and the like as opposed to your more vanilla b2c experiences and man it's a fun time to be doing this and the market's finally starting to come to us largely driven by covid whereas it felt for the first you know, maybe decade of my career it felt like we were dragging people kicking and screaming towards e-commerce and trying to justify and make business cases for them whereas the market seems to be coming to us now and that's a pretty exciting thing to see absolutely i agree and they've got a lot of other things to figure out so hopefully we can be there to help them figure out this part of their overall business tom thank you so much for your time uh, with me today it was super enlightening super insightful and i'm very excited to see where you take the art of quiz commerce in the future with Jebit. And I'd love to stay in touch with you, maybe chat again in another 12 months or so. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the At The Coalface podcast. If you want more At The Coalface, you can subscribe to our premium e-commerce and digital newsletter, At The Coalface Digest. <laughs>